Grey's Anatomy, the most iconic binge-worthy drama, is back, along with answers to the biggest cliffhangers. Will Teddy survive? Will Joe and Link finally find happiness together? Meredith returns along with fan faves like Arizona. You can now stream every episode of Grey's ever on Hulu and new episodes next day. Watch the season premiere of Grey's Anatomy tonight at 9, 8 central on ABC and stream on Hulu. Better Call Paul is a production of Lola Media. Say hi, Lola. Hey, everyone. This is Paul Sarker from Better Call Paul. Just wanted to remind you that the show is intended for entertainment purposes only and is not legal advice. I am not your lawyer unless we separately agree for me to represent you. And the views expressed by Mesh and me are solely our own. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to Better Call Paul, the show where we discuss the legal and business side behind the scenes of Hollywood, sports, and entertainment. I'm your co-host, Paul Sarker, former Marvel lawyer and current big law media attorney. And I'm your other co-host, Mesh Lakani, founder of Lola Media, pop culture enthusiast. Paul, great to be here again. Finally in the same city for the first time in a while, although not in the same room. Mesh, good to see you. And thanks, everyone. Mesh, you saw Nope last night, right? How was it? I absolutely love this movie. I've seen Get Out. I skipped us. I don't like horror movies. This is like a thriller. I won't say anything. It is such a great ride. If you want to have fun in a movie theater, go on a roller coaster, get some nice jumps. This is an awesome movie. Every single minute was engaging. And it's like you kind of like watch this thing and you're like, this guy is pretty brilliant. He knows how to set up tension. Everyone in the movie is amazing. It's kind of like M. Night Shyamalan, but he's just on a roll and like it's so smart too. Like you're just not expecting a lot of stuff, but I highly recommend it. And watch it in a theater with people so that you can all start yelling at the screen together because that was my experience last night. I was at the Alamo in, in Brooklyn and it was a blast, man. Awesome. No, that's great. I'm glad you liked it. He's incredibly talented. And really, like, he went from being just a funny sketch comedian guy to being, like, this world-class director. So good for him. Really good for him. And it, it didn't do too bad. It did about a little under 50, so shy of expectations. But I do think this is going to be one of those, like, well, let's see, one of those word-of-mouth movies where, like, everyone's wondering, should I go see it? And I just went to my Instagram and I was like, people need to watch this movie. This is why movies were created for the theater. So I hope that it continues to do well after that opening weekend. I think the phrase is industry phases. You hope it has legs, right? So yeah, yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah. I'm sure Jordan Peele's got some legs. So speaking of Comic-Con, we talked about it last week, but by the time we recorded the Black Panther 2 trailer had not dropped. No, we got to do some dap for it now because it took over the internet, 172 million views in the first 24 hours. And you know, it's a tough thing. Ryan Coogler said this. He's like, we're coming back with a sequel, but we don't have Chadwick. So you know, like it's a lot to live up to on the first picture. Marvel said that they weren't going to recast. There's not going to be a replacement for Chadwick Boseman because he's not really a replaceable person. Yep. I mean, it was a great trailer. I liked it. It teases Namor. Great trailer. So Namor's out in the public. He's the villain. And, you know, Angela Bassett is timeless. I don't know how she... Dude. She's amazing. Uh, even thinking about that trailer, I just got goosebumps. I was watching it randomly watching it on YouTube in a cab stuck in traffic in Manhattan. And I had like chills. I thought it was so beautifully done. I mean, I can't wait to see this movie. And yeah, I mean, I think everyone felt the same way. Like I was listening to a few podcasts where I was like, this is the best trailer that was ever been released. But I think obviously because there's so much 
emotion that goes into this movie. Uh, it kind of reminds me, it's a little bit different, but it's like The Dark Knight, when it came out and Heath Ledger had passed away, a lot of people, like, they were so intrigued by it that they went to go see the movie and see how great this performance was. I feel it's kind of similar here. I think a lot of people are going to go watch this movie. And it is the end of Phase 4 for Marvel. And at Comic-Con 2, they announced Phase 5 and a little bit of a teaser for Phase 6. So like, these guys have a lot of work ahead of them. Right. And we'll, we can talk about it on another episode. But you know, all that work comes at a cost, right? The VFX vendors are hitting their breaking point. There's a lot of complaints about how demanding and how much pressure Marvel sort of puts their VFX teams under. But listen, I worked there for six years. It is not an easy place. It's fast paced. It's successful. It's nimble. And they know what they want. And they, they want to please the fans first and foremost and make money. So it's a roller coaster when you're there for sure. But it's not always easy. It's hardly ever easy, actually. No. And, and I think that it was interesting because like Phase five is a lot of filler stuff. It's a lot of Disney Plus stuff. It's a lot of like series. They've obviously got a few movies in there. But, you know, for me, it's like I'm not that into a lot of the Disney Plus stuff. I'll still watch it. But like I'm really excited about the phase five. Phase six. Sorry, phase six with two Avengers movies that they announced and the Fantastic Four. I think that's going to open this massive door, but we have to wait a few years to get there. So they've clearly got their roadmap there. Is there going to be oversaturation? Are people, some people, I mean, I'm sure there's a spectrum. There's probably some people that are like three movies a year plus the Disney Plus stuff. It's too much. You know, we want them to be more focused on quality than quantity. But, you know, like Disney is a media conglomerate and they own Marvel, right? So they kind of decide, hey, we need content for Disney Plus. Marvel is this incredibly strong sort of intellectual property source. We want more Marvel stuff because that's going to help Disney Plus go forward. But, you know, you have to worry about dilution a little bit, I think, if you're them. But not for Black Panther 2. That looks sick. No, I mean, it's, again, the end of Phase 4. And it's November. It's not even that far away. Um, no. It's, it's, it's in the fall. So that's really the only thing that I'm, like, excited about, you know, for a Marvel movie that's coming out that we know the date that it's coming out. So the last thing I'll say about it is... I don't want them to tease much more in the trailer. I don't want to know actually anything else. Like they gave a little bit of everything. So you're kind of guessing. I just don't like they've done this in the past where they've like for uh, the multiverse of madness. I feel like they gave too much away in the trailer and then we weren't really surprised in the movie. And I think for this movie, like I want to like yell. I want to scream. I want to clap. I want to cry, which we'll probably all do. And let's just see. Hopefully they don't tease too much in the trailers. I mean. We still got a long ways to go, so I'm sure they will. Okay, so switching topics. On episode 22, we talked about the uh, Brittany Griner unfortunate situation where she got detained in Russia. She was traveling to play basketball overseas, and she had some weed oil with her, and she got detained in the airport. So listen to episode 22 if you want the whole fact pattern on that. But we're going to give you the quick update, which is it's become released that the Biden administration is proposing a prisoner swap. They are proposing for Russia to release Brittany and Paul Whelan, who was wrongfully detained for, I guess, spying. And they're willing to trade them for Victor Bout, who, as we discussed in episode 22, is called the Merchant of Death. He's an arms dealer serving a 25-year sentence. He's about 40% of the way through that, I think. And the news this week is that Russia, through back channels, the uh, FSB has sort of countered and they've asked for a second prisoner to be released in addition to the Merchant of Death, which is Vadim Krasikov. I feel like this whole thing is taking on a whole nother life. I mean, the negotiation, the Ukraine war backdrop and 
just the, sort of like the geopolitical tension here. It's almost like a spy movie. Yeah. And this guy, Vadim Krasikov, is actually not even in U.S. custody. He's in German custody. He was sentenced to life last year, or maybe two years ago, for um, committing a murder in 2019. So that's not even someone that the U.S. has the authority to let go, if even if they wanted to. So it's crazy. That is pretty crazy. It reminds me of that Tom Hanks movie. I, I forget the name of it, but... Um... Uh, what, Bridge it, of Spies? Yes, Bridge of Spies. It, it yeah. kind of has a similar feeling to it. I wonder if they do make a movie about this when, you know, hopefully it's all over. Well, you know, the ironic thing is that, and we talked about this in 22, but, you know, if you're Biden, you need this resolved. And best case scenario for him would be a very quick, very quiet, confidential resolution where, like, it's not talked about in the news every day. It's not like, you're sending all these signals to other countries that the U.S. is weak or willing to make deals, right? Like, he needs her home. Yes, she's an American. She's super talented. She's LGBTQ. She's all these different things. And so he, he needs her home for a lot of reasons, but he doesn't want to be seen as desperate or weak. So the fact that this is dragged out, it's, it's such a leading news story. I think she was on the cover of Time. That's right, yeah. It's not a good, I don't want to say mishandled because it is very complicated and I'm not trying to be critical. It's just like, it's unfortunate that it has become this huge story and obviously we're talking about it. And, you know, if, if you're Britney's family and supporters, like what other leverage do they have other than making this a big, you know, headline-grabbing story? They need more public awareness. They need more people to support and call for her to be brought back. So it becomes a bigger priority on sort of Biden's to-do list. He's got a million things on that to-do list, but Britney's one of them, and it's now a very public issue. It's already been quite a bit of time, so I guess we'll just see how it plays out. Yeah, exactly. And I guess some of the commentators are, are wondering whether Russia's even negotiating in good faith or whether they're just trying to drag it out by asking for someone who's really a German prisoner or, you know, some other people who are like hackers or spies. I mean, I think Putin knows he's got a lot of leverage and he doesn't necessarily need to act fast which is unfortunate because it's just, it's not playing well for the U.S. Yeah, yeah. Well, more happy topics after the break. Yeah. <laughs> I promise. All right, Paul. So Lollapalooza in Chicago, one of the biggest music festivals at one time, I think it was the biggest music festival, and then Coachella, I feel, took a little bit away from it. But Lollapalooza now in Chicago. My sister's actually there right now, 2022. One of the big things about it is that it's going to be live streamed on Hulu, and there's a whole schedule. You can see quite a few of the acts, and, and there's a lot of great folks to be checking out via live stream. And I do think it's interesting, like you want to have concert ticket sales, you want to have the festival sales. Obviously, there's all the stuff that they make at the festival itself. But then obviously, you don't want what about all the people that can't buy a ticket and then they can obviously pay for it and watch it on Hulu. What are your thoughts on it? I think, listen, I'm old school. I love, you know, going to concerts and music festivals. I've never been to Lollapalooza, but I was looking at the lineup preparing for the show and it's like amazing. It's really got I think all genres are pretty well represented. Obviously, there's pop, there's dance, there's R&B, and there's a lot of acts I've never heard of, but there's plenty that I have. And so I think it would be a great concert. My sister-in-law is there too. Oh, really? Yeah. And so I don't actually, like I said, old school, I don't think there's really any comparison between being at an event live, like a music festival in person versus watching it on your TV screen or on your computer. I don't think there's really you know, a comparison between how much fun it is to be at a festival versus watching something at home. So I don't think one cannibalizes the other, but I do think 
that probably not everyone shares that view. There might be people that like, you know, for whatever reason, they have kids or travel, they can't get to Chicago, health concerns. And so maybe they don't want to be at a big event with 50,000 other people in person. So I think there's a reason to have live streams for sure. I think you could probably also monetize the ads in it. And maybe even there's a future where you have to pay to see the live stream. And I'll definitely check out a few acts. You know, I'm in New York now. So there's a couple artists that I definitely want to see, like Duke DeMont and James Hype. And, you know, we'll see Side Piece. Your your taste in music is way cooler than mine. Well, I like dance music. That's my thing. I mean, I noticed that there are some omissions from the live stream. Like Dua Lipa was not in the live stream. And I wonder if that was, you know, a contractual thing, if it was just a capacity, like, oh, we have eight stages, we can't live stream them all. Or maybe her team, her label, her publishers didn't want to grant sort of digital live stream rights. I, I don't know exactly what the, the backstory is, but I know it's the future. I know people that are, you know, 15 and 20 years younger than me are going to be attending a lot of concerts digitally and in the metaverse. And it's already happening. It's just for me, it's not as fun. Yeah, no, it's definitely not. I mean, completely two different experiences. I mean, if you're going to a festival, you're going to a festival. It is an in-person, you know, you can't take that away from someone at the same time. Usually what we've seen is that they'll put something on YouTube or you'll get like an HBO special later. I remember like back in the day when uh, Justin Timberlake did his MSG special. I think it was on HBO. Adele's done some stuff on HBO. But like festival wise, I mean, even with Coachella, like they put like clips and stuff on YouTube and like like when Harry Styles and Shania Twain had their thing. End of last year, Kanye and Drake did a show in L.A., I think they didn't do only market it on Instagram like maybe two or three days before. Obviously, it sold out because it's Kanye and Drake, but it was an Amazon concert. And Jess and I watched it like a month after it happened. We were like, this is amazing because you can get a lot of production value. And I mean, it's entertaining, but in a different way. And I don't think it compares to being there, but it's still a great experience and like a good way to spend an hour, a couple hours. But I was looking at the lineup for the live stream. Technically, it's not live. Right, right, right. That makes sense because you probably have to process the file. There's probably a delay in case there's any profanity or whatever. They need a censor. I mean, it's a cool thing that they're doing for fans who couldn't be there in person. I was looking through the list as well. You've got Kygo, Machine Gun Kelly in terms of like the bigger acts, Little Baby, Metallica, Tove Lo, J-Hope, who is from BTS, my sister, who we've spoken about before, um, who's a part of the uh, BTS army, is there right now with her army, her first time at Lollapalooza. And look, I love Lollapalooza. I think it's so sick to have a festival in the middle of a city. I love Chicago. I've been twice. Oh, wow. Cool. Which years did you go? I don't remember the years, but it was like uh, sometime between 2006 and 2010. And I remember... I saw like the Foo Fighters. It was long enough ago where I still had long hair. And I remember going to Foo Fighters and we waited and it was started pouring rain. I'm like head banging to the point where I had whiplash the next day. And Dave Grohl said something like, do you think a little bit of rain's going to stop us? And then he like breaks into like whatever song it was. And then I saw Rage Against the Machine play there. Oh, wow. Like I saw some really cool acts. I'm like, like Eminem was there. Coldplay. I mean, I've seen all of it and like you're running back and forth between stages, but the whole thing is fun, especially because you're in the city. So you're like you're walking to Lollapalooza and you can like stop by bars, you can get food and then you go in there and it's an absolute blast. So, I mean, I would love to go again. Well, that's why I like Ultra Music Festival, which is in downtown Miami. Same thing. I mean, it's like right in the city. So it's not like some other festivals where you have to drive for two hours outside the city. 
you know, it's like a little bit inconvenient. So I love it. And I like that it's during the day because, I, you know, you're like out and it's not super late night. Which, yeah. <laughs> um, but that's cool. I mean, it sounds like the, the artist. I've never seen Eminem. I'd love to see him. Good for them. It looks like it's a lot of fun. Wish it could be there. Have you done any live stream concerts or metaverse concerts? I'm trying to think. I haven't done a metaverse concert. I'm trying to think of if I've done live stream. I feel like I have, and I, I'm blanking out. But there, I would definitely do a live stream. Like I, like Pearl Jam's playing at MSG. Rage is playing at MSG. Clearly, I'm a '90s head. I don't know if I'm going to make it to those concerts. I would watch the live stream. Like I'm one of those people who now, like, if I'm not making the concert, I would go see Rage. Do you want to go see Rage? They're playing MSG. Yeah, let's see Rage. Let's do it. We should go together. Yeah. Let's go. Let's look up the tickets and go see Rage. But I do think it's a good test for how live stream and ticket sales will work because obviously live music was something that got hit really hard by the pandemic. I, you know, I'm friendly with somebody who's been buying up venues and, you know, they've been thinking about like different ways to make it a great experience. And I think live streaming could be a part of that with people who are nowhere near where they can buy tickets to, you know, a concert. Why shouldn't they be able to pay a little bit of money and watch the live stream? I think it's similar to like even comedians where, you know, Andrew Schultz, for example, people will go to his comedy show at like a Radio City Music Hall, but then he obviously sells it now. Not a live stream, but it's you can still stream the concert itself and he's going to make some money that way. So I do like where it's moving to. Oh, yeah. I think for comedy shows, it's different because I don't, there's no like dancing. I mean, it's 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 a little bit different, but like you're not dancing at a comedy show where you're like, sure. you know, dancing at a festival versus, you know, doing it in your living room or whatever. They're not exactly the same. But one thing I want to point out to your point, I've got friends and I used to, be involved in sort of the nightlife scene in LA. I was, and I worked for a couple of clubs and my boss over there is he's, he's now an executive at Insomniac and we'll have him on. I'd love to have him on the show. And when, you know, the pandemic first started and you couldn't do concerts, like you couldn't do club shows, you couldn't do festivals. They had to quickly pivot and figure out like, how do we still have expenses? We still, we can't just like not pay anyone for a year. And they came up with the idea for the electric mile, which was in Southern California, which was like, really incredible and there and creative. It was a, a drive-through festival. So like you didn't have to leave your car and you could drive and hear music and see all these lights and attractions. And I think they did really well and they sold a lot of merch. And so, you know, it's a way to sort of pivot when the pandemic made live shows impossible. I think live streams became more of a real thing and kids are, are doing Fortnite concerts all the time. So it's definitely the future. I think there's still a huge benefit to being there in person, but it's good to see this develop. Yeah, for sure. And I think it also depends on the act as well. Some acts are just great to watch like later. They have a whole set. Like a Metallica, for example, probably have a set list. You like watch the whole thing. It's still probably fun if you watch it on a stream. All right, man. So let's take a quick break. And we're also going to discuss MSG Rage offline so we can go together and headbang a bit. But we'll be right back. Okay, Paul, so one of our main topic for today, we're talking about the NFL. NFL, again, has entered our main topic. In this case, NFL launching their tiered streaming service, NFL Plus, which I guess, like, if you're a football fan, that's pretty exciting. $4.99 a month, $39.99 a year, allows fans to watch live games on your phone or tablet, access to preseason games, you can pay a little bit extra, and then you get access to, like, other commentary and other clips and stuff. What are your thoughts? It's a no-brainer that the NFL needed its streaming app. 
all the major sports leagues and and major sports teams are getting into streaming. That's no secret. You'll see more and more of this. You know, NBA has you know league pass, MLBs in talks of it, and they also have an out of market package. Timing wise, NFL had a streaming deal, mobile streaming deal with Verizon and Yahoo, which just expired. And their out of market package, NFL Sunday ticket, we've talked about in prior episodes. The rights for that are being bid on right now between Disney, Apple, and Amazon. So I think the tension here is if you're NFL or any team, any network, you need to be in streaming. That is clearly a revenue stream that isn't going to go away. It's significant. It's an area of growth, you know, Netflix and and subscriber growth notwithstanding. It is the future. Yeah. But you don't want to bite the hand that feeds you. You don't want to sort of give away the farm or diminish the value of your cable rights or broadcast rights. And we talked about on episode seven The NFL did this 11-year deal with CBS, ABC, Disney, ESPN, Fox, and NBC, where they licensed up their television rights, broadcast rights, for $113 billion over 11 years. So it's a huge deal. And they're also in talks, like I said, on their out-of-market package. The rumors are they want $2 billion a year for that. So for the next 11 years, they're going to be making 13 to $14 billion a year in rights fees. Right. They can't jeopardize that with the streaming. Right. But I think what they did is really creative because they're taking content that isn't going to detract from... It's not People are going to watch this app in lieu of watching games on television. Right. It's additive. Yes. yes. Right? So it's like if you are a junkie and you need an edge in your fantasy league or you want to see, you know, you're a super fan of like the Eagles or something... And you want to see the coach's viewpoint or like analyze film, mm-hmm. maybe you pay 10 bucks a month to get like that detailed insight. Totally. And it gives them a lot of data on their customer base. And after a couple of years, it may be another product that they can sell, right? Once it's got a user base and they have all this data, they can say, hey, CBS, we'll give you a couple NFL plus opportunities in your next deal. So, I mean, it's brilliant. They're a smart league. They know how to monetize their their rights. I think it's really cool. I don't know if I will be an NFL Plus subscriber because honestly, this pod, I may not even play fantasy football this year because this podcast is taking up so much time. <laughs> but I think it's really cool for them. And I, you know, we, I, I negotiate these deals all the time. I'm working with teams on, on setting up their apps. And the, the hard part is doing it in a way that doesn't, either from a legal or business perspective, violate your existing deals. Right. And, and those deals are important. That's the lifeblood. That's what keeps the lights on. So you got to keep those going while dipping your toe into the streaming water. Yeah, I've got to imagine that you spend a lot of time not only making sure that there's no contract breaches, but they've spent a lot of time thinking about this to make sure that, hey, we just want to continue growing. I think the NFL's advantage is that they have all these derivatives that make up you know, fantasy. There's you know people place bets. People just love the extra content. It's interesting to see. I mean, I think about like other sports, like the UFC when they first were on pay-per-view and then they had the UFC Fight Pass app where you were buying directly from the UFC and then they made a deal with ESPN instead. And so now on ESPN Plus, that's how you watch the UFC pay-per-views and the fight nights and all the extra content is actually all on ESPN and ESPN Plus. And I guess like, you know, obviously the UFC is like nowhere near as big as the NFL, but that was one of those cases where they can go one or the other. Well, yeah, and actually I think I was reading that some of the content that's going to be in this product, NFL Plus, was actually free to access in the past through the NFL app. I assume that free access is probably going to go away. Now you're going to have to pay for it if you want it. But it's just the evolution. And then the other thing that's important is that this is how you get you keep your fan base young. This is how you target the the growing sort of segments of people who don't have cable, 
who don't have cable subscriptions and they watch everything on their phone or they stream everything. And it's not like you can ignore that segment of the market. Well, and I also wonder, like, does this play into athletes, people with an audience? They start a YouTube channel. You know, they're on Instagram. They're on TikTok. They're creating their own content because fans want to see what they are, what their life is like, how they're training, what's happening behind the scenes. I wonder if that's also an opportunity for NFL Plus to, like, get into that. I mean, like we talked about last week where we're talking about BTS and BTS is like, hey, the docuseries, the travel show, this and that. I wonder if it becomes still sports and athlete related content, but not specifically around the gameplay. Right. Well, the key is you have to find a bucket of content that is compelling enough for people to want to pay for it, but doesn't violate you know whatever you've promised to the cable companies and the broadcast networks, because it's not necessarily that they have exclusive rights. But if you're giving that content away in multiple different forms of medium, then the price that someone's willing to pay for it for broadcast rights or for cable rights is going to decrease. So it's basically like certain things, our bread and butter are kind of off limits, but what can we find in the margins? You know, like how do how do we take surplus content and package it in a way that people want to buy, right? Or that it's compelling to consumers. And that's the sort of rub here. And I think they've probably found a way to do it. And the NFL is only like a five month product. Right. So that's why there's a pretty significant like 33% discount if you sign up for the year versus the monthly right. price. Right. Because otherwise there'd be a lot of churn. And there's another NFL story I wanted to touch on quickly. Prominent NFL quarterback, Kyler Murray. For those who don't know, he is an elite athlete. He was number one pick in the NFL draft. And he was also before that a first round draft pick in the MLB. So he's a two sports star, went to the University of Oklahoma. He recently signed a $230 million five-year contract. So works out to $46 million a year with $160 million of that being guaranteed. (sighs) Jesus. $30 million signing bonus. And the reason it's in the news is because there was a clause in there that said that he had to study independently in good faith four hours a week. So on his own, he had to use his iPad or his laptop to study film of the upcoming week's opponent that the team gave to him. And if he did it, in bad faith or wasn't focused, was playing video games or whatever, or was watching TV while that was on, it didn't count. And so this clause leaked. There's an NFL reporter that got access to the contract through the NFLPA database. And he basically leaked this clause online and sparked this huge debate about, you know, why was this in his contract? Why did they agree to it? Why did the team ask for it? And so it's a really interesting story, I think, from a contract law perspective and from like talent representation, because, you know, A, there shouldn't be any provisions in a contract that you don't know about before you agree to it, right? Like, so it's the representative's job to sort of walk them through the pros, the cons, the risks, all the things in the contract. Is in that case, is it his sports agent? Uh, It looks like it. I mean, he's rep by Rock Nation, so it could have been his sports agent, but some of the press, the agency is is on the record saying, well, he studies this much anyways. You know, from our perspective, it wasn't a give because he's always... You know, and that was his position. He's like, guys, he was a little bit flattered. Obviously, he's frustrated that this got out and it, it creates a perception that maybe he doesn't care that much or he's not right. studying enough. Right. You know, when he's not in, in meetings or not practicing, he's not like, basically, you have to eat, sleep and breathe football to be like a winner, yeah. right? Like Tom yeah. Brady, he, he physically, he, he's very gifted, but he's not the most gifted quarterback. But the reason he wins is because of the mental aspect of the game. The fact that he's so prepared, the fact that he knows what the defense is going to do, the fact that every critical end of game situation or most every almost everyone, he comes out on top because he's studied the game and he's just a, you know, he's a junkie for the detail of the game. 
Yeah. And so it creates this implication that Kyler Murray isn't that studious. And so that's a negative perception. And he came out and said, hey, like, this is ridiculous. The <laughs> fact that I was able to excel at two sports at my size, he's only 5'10". Uh, right. And, and be sort of a number one draft pick in the NFL and a first-round draft pick in baseball, you can't do it without a work ethic. He's like, it is just impossible. That doesn't exist. No one can just show up and be that good at two sports. But the thing is, that's not how contracts work, right? Contracts don't necessarily, you don't sign a contract to preserve past performance. You sign an athlete because you want their future performance. And there's no guarantee, really. And that's why you see, you know, there's many examples of athletes signing huge paydays and then their performance diminishes. It drops off. That's a risk, right? It's a risk that a lot of teams don't want to take when players are in the latter stages of their contract. It happens all the time. So you can see why a team would ask for something like this. And my understanding is this is a very novel provision in an NFL agreement. And the fact that it was leaked isn't really a good look for either side. But I think it's a rational thing to ask for. And my guess is Kyler was made aware of this provision before he signed the contract. He was like, yeah, I do that anyway. It's not a big deal. Right. But it leaked. And now because of the negative perception following the leak, the team is waiving that clause of the contract. Interesting. I mean, there's so much money involved. And like to your point earlier, like to be at that level, to be great at two sports at such a such a high level. I mean, what other athlete previously has been able to do that? It was like Deion Sanders. Didn't he have like both Deion Sanders, Bo Jackson and football? Yeah. Yeah. We'll have to check. I don't think Bo Jackson. I don't think they were first round picks in two sports that right, right, I don't know right, that that's right, happened. Right. Yeah. And Kyler doesn't play baseball, to be clear. He's solely focused on football. But it's just interesting from a contract perspective, A, could it be in the deal without him knowing and get signed? And B, how did it get leaked? And C, what are the, what are the implications of this? But I think it's really exciting. And that's why we, you know, we're discussing it this week. Yeah. I mean, I wonder how something like that does get leaked and why someone would leak it. As I'm always curious about like what is the uh, agenda there. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I think while well, one of the things, I mean, we could speculate now that this is out there that one team has asked for this clause, it may make it easier for teams to sort of negotiate for this in the future because you can't say, hey, that's crazy. No one would ever ask for that. Be like, well, no, there's precedent there. Right. Everyone knows now. The narrative around Kyler Murray will be, does, can he win in the postseason? Can he win when it counts? Is he going to be a student of the game? Because let's be clear, his performance over the past three years has been excellent. He hasn't been, you know, the best quarterback in the football, but for being, it's it's a tough sport to adjust to. It's a very competitive league and he's done really well. So not everyone can win the Super Bowl every year, right? Like not even Tom Brady. I think he wins one every three years, but it's just, other than that, if you can win one or two in your career, you're an all-time caliber player. So we'll see. I just think it's really interesting because normally these sorts of negotiations don't play out publicly. Yeah, and in this case, too, I mean, more eyes on it. I mean, I'm sure people want to watch him play. Right. And Patrick Mahomes, who is arguably the best quarterback in the NFL, he released a statement yesterday saying that black quarterbacks are subject to, like, increased scrutiny and specific criticism that other white Mm. quarterbacks don't face. Something to think about. Well, it'll be interesting to see how that plays out. And, you know, I mean, going back to the whole NFL thing, be curious to see just again how how it all pans out from the streaming service to this. And obviously a lot of eyes on the, on the NFL in this upcoming season. For sure. 
Well, that's our show for this week. Thanks, everyone, for listening. We love doing this, so keep it up. Have a great weekend, everyone. Make sure you check out Nope. I'm telling you, it's going to be fun. And, Paul, you and I can't wait. Rage Against the Machine, MSG. Let's figure it out. Like, subscribe, follow us at Better Call Paul, the podcast on Instagram. Make sure you're subscribed on the podcast, Apple, Spotify, wherever you choose to listen. This episode is edited and produced by Valentino Rivera, Marco Seiler, Gonzalez, with assistant producer Justin Sanchez. Thanks, folks, and have a great week.